So um, just so, especially if anyone's new here, or if you don't know, our beloved Pastor Brent is golfing. No, I'm just joking. Yeah. He's actually uh, in India with Ed Hickey right now, and they're probably golfing or playing cricket over there. But uh, no, um, he's with Pastor Ed Hickey from Cornerstone Calvary Chapel in Abbotsford. And they've gone over there to India to train the pastors there, um, train them and teach them how to study the Bible and how to to teach the Bible and how to uh, lead the flock there. So it's a wonderful thing that they're doing. And, And I tell you, when I look around... Here at Riverside Calvary Chapel, I think he's really qualified in, in doing that for these uh, men. So they're blessed to have them there. So, um, so we're filling the, the pulpit here for him for a couple of weeks. Me and Pastor Jeff, will be, uh, he'll be teaching next week. And uh, as you guys know, Brent's been teaching through the gospel according to Matthew. And uh, he's partway chap- through chapter 6 right now. But I'm going to veer from that a little bit, and um, well, quite a bit. And look at something that the Lord has been putting on my heart lately, and I think on the hearts of many Christians across the globe and in the church of Jesus Christ, in the body of Christ. And it's the battle for people's hearts and for their faith, their faith in Jesus Christ, their faith in, in, in religion or a redeemer. So let's pray, and, and, and we'll look into God's word here. Lord God, uh, we just pray that you would be with us this morning, that you would uh, bring our pastor, Brent and Ed, safely back to us, Lord, and, um, and just speak to us through your word here, Lord. We need to hear from you every day, Father, so speak to us, and we pray that you would impact myself and every heart here, Lord, and that we would hear your word and it would change us here this morning, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. And by the way, too, Brent says to say hi to everyone here. So I just want to start by saying, you remember when Paul told the church in Galatia, he said, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. So Paul could have stopped with, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you. From Jesus, turning away from Jesus. He is the gospel, isn't he? He didn't say, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him and his gospel to a different gospel. No, he said, I marvel that you were turning away from him to a different gospel. Not turning away from all the do's and the don'ts after coming to him, and we may, as you have experienced, we may and we will do some things or not do some things after coming to Jesus as our Savior, because he changes us, but isn't it all about Jesus? Everything. Remember when Lazarus went to meet Martha and Mary, because Lazarus had died, and John chapter 11, starting at verse 23 there, it says, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's the gospel. 
Jesus is the gospel. Isn't it simply Jesus, just faith in Jesus, what he accomplished on the cross for us? But really, it's just him, the person of Jesus. Surrender to Jesus. Rely on Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Live for and in and with Jesus. And all the other stuff will happen afterwards. Isn't it all about him, Jesus? Relationship or religion? Religion or Redeemer. And even as Christians, you pick. You pick what you're doing. As Paul told the Galatians, we can't, we can, as Christians, we can fall back. We can fall back into a religious, works-based mindset if we don't always just rest in Jesus. Listen to what Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon says about who Jesus needs to be to us. He says, so if you want to know the Lord Jesus Christ, you must live with him. First, he must be himself. He must first himself speak to you. And afterwards, you must abide in him. He must be the choice companion of your morning hours. He must be with you throughout the day. And with him, you must also close the night. And as often as you may wake during the night, you must say, when I awake, I am still with thee. What an incredible statement and truth that there is. Now, there's, as you may know, there's countless scriptures that we could look at to support this, this truth that we, that we follow Jesus, a person, and not a religious system filled with rules and regulations. But to kind of encapsulate it, we're going to use this little story in, in the Old Testament and so turn your Bibles to, to 2 Kings chapter 5, and we're going we're gonna to stay on there. I will refer to different, chap, different verses, but just go to 2 Kings chapter 5, and it's, it's during the time of Elisha, the prophet, not Elijah, but Elisha, who, um, who came after Elijah. And it tells the story of Naaman. He's the, uh, the leader of the army in Syria. And this little story helps us to see the difference between Trusting in a complex religious system through works or trusting in the simplicity of, of, of faith, the simplicity of, of faith in a redeemer. So let me just read the first verse here for you in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria he was also a mighty man of valor. I want to stop right there before we read the, the last three words in there. Even though he wasn't an Israelite, he was a Gentile and a pagan, this Naaman was obviously quite a guy from his description in Scripture. He was brave and honorable, and it seems like he had all, all this integrity as far as the world is concerned. And there's people like that all over the world. There's people like that in our lives. That, that we love and that we, that we like. And there's some great qualities in them. And these were some of the qualities that Naaman had. But those last three words there, it says, but a leper. Leprosy, as many of you may know, being a, being a leper is used many times as a picture of sin in Scripture. So the bottom line is that many people that we know and many people in the world have these wonderful qualities, wonderful personalities. They're wonderful people. But they're still sinners. 
All of mankind, we're sinners. We, we all sin and fall short, the whole world. So we need to hear some good news. The world needs to hear some good news. We need some hope. So listen to verse 2 and 3 here. It's in Kings chapter 5. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had bought, brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. So here's this brave little girl, a slave in captivity, pushing past her fears, probably because she's a slave, and sharing her beliefs that this prophet could heal her master. When I read that, I think in a very real way, in this world, we are all, all of us are this little captive girl because we're in enemy territory here in the world. And we know the cure to the leprosy of the world, the cure to sin that's killing everyone. We all know it. But the cure is in a person. It's not in a belief system. It's in a person. But will we be brave enough to share it and say, almost like the little girl said here, to say to people in the world that we know, if only you were with Jesus, he would heal you and take your sin and forgive you and give you life. Romans chapter 10, verse 14 says, How then shall they call on him who they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? We are all that preacher. Every single one of us here. Or does, or does Pastor Brent have to come back from India and does he have to, do you have to invite him to every Christmas family gathering, every, every Easter family gathering, every Thanksgiving family gathering of yours and have him share the gospel with all your family and friends? Of course not. It's our job to do that with the people in our lives. It's simply telling people about Jesus. That's it. Verses 4 through 7 here carries on and expands on this story of Naaman. It says, And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who was from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and 10,000 changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel heard the letter that he tore his clothes and he said, am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So just think. Think of this king of Israel, who was King Jehoram at the time. Think of him as representing religion. Verse 7, it's like religion is saying, Am I God? Do I have the power over life and death? And do you seriously think that I can forgive and remove sin from a person and give them life and make them righteous? Do you seriously think that I can save people? And that's the honest truth, that religion and the rituals and the works of man, no matter how hard we try, cannot save us. 
or change us. And all the religions of the world, apart from Christ, are virtually the same. Some, um, some people, even some people here, might say, yeah, but for evangelical Bible-believing church like ours, you're preaching to the choir. We know this. We know that it's all about Jesus. But you would be surprised at how many times us Christians can fall back into our religious, self-imposed, righteous attempts at securing our salvation and finding holiness. And then when we falter, we fear, the fear that it brings. Oh my goodness, have I lost my salvation? Have I stepped out of line with my Lord? Have I, what do I need to do? That's why Paul addressed the church there in Galatia and says, are you turning so soon away from Jesus? And trying now to secure your own salvation and maintain your, your status with God and keeping a score sheet for yourself? How well am I doing? So religion can't fix us. Rituals can't fix us. But remember in our story here with, with Naaman, Naaman is still, he's still counting on some kind of spiritual ritual to save him. That's what he's thinking. And as many people count on some religious system or, or finding the right spiritual path that will lead them to salvation, or as Christians too, as already saved Christians, we can look at this path in Scripture that will help us to live holy lives and overcome sin. Maybe I just haven't found the right technique yet or, or the right verse. Instead of just drawing closer to Jesus and seeing that much of what is spoken about in the New Testament is really God simply telling us, this is how you now can live because you are in Christ and not the other way around saying, live like this so that you can have Christ. What must I do? They're thinking. Elijah tells Naaman in his story, verses 8. He says, so it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes that he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Come to me, he says. This was my story. It wasn't a religious story. This was my story. I still didn't know anything about Jesus and I was still steeped in my fears of my upbringing in Catholicism. And I was trying with, with everything I had, I was trying to be a better man, but I kept failing and failing, worse and worse each time. And then one night I, I read in, in an old Bible that someone had given to me, I read this beautiful verse that changed my life. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, it said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. <laughs> man. It was like, oh my goodness, who is this person? I need rest. And that was the beginning of my journey to Jesus. It wasn't coming, come, it wasn't saying come to this religion or come to this system of rituals. It was come to this person. And that made sense to me. And it really cut deep into my heart and my spirit. There was something about I knew that there was just something about getting closer to Jesus. So also Naaman went 
seeking help, seeking hope. Listen to what he says here. Verse 9 to 12, he said, Then Naaman went with his horses and chariots, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious, and he went away, and he said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord of God and wave his hands over the place and heal the leprosy, because are not... Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel. Could I wash in them and be clean? So he turned and he went away in a rage. That's the stumbling block of the world. Naaman was told to just go into the Jordan and wash seven times and he'd be healed. And the world is, is told to just believe in Jesus Christ. Just believe in him crucified, you'll be saved. Faith in Jesus. And the Bible says that this is the stumbling block of the Jews and its foolishness to the world because it's too simple. It's so ridiculous. Naaman expected Elisha to come and say some extraordinary prayer and wave his hands in the air and perform some incredible ritual, but he didn't. And the world believes that the, the, the power for us and the formula for salvation or enlightenment or holy living, it's, they believe that it's somewhere in between the walls of these huge religious organizations. The mighty Catholic Church, Islam, Buddhism, modern science, or even today, the legalistic, religious, graceless teaching that's infiltrating the Christian church. Many Christians fall back into spiritual rituals for power to help them overcome sin instead of just drawing closer to Jesus who has the power. He is the power. It's too simple. Just like we came to him initially to find forgiveness for our sin, we continue to draw even closer to him to practically now overcome those sins. It doesn't change. When Naaman said, are not the rivers of Damascus greater than the Jordan? It made me really think of my father's comments when I, was first, when I was first coming to Jesus as my savior. I had left the Catholic church that I was brought up in and that my dad was a, a part of his whole life. And he said that I had walked away from my faith. And I tried to explain to him that the exact opposite had actually happened. I was now finding my faith and my faith was in Jesus Christ and his shed blood on the cross for my sins and his resurrection. And then I told him that I had many of the issues that I had and the red flags that I had with, with, the, with the Catholic Church, that I was troubled with the, the worship and the prayer to Mary instead of to Jesus. And I questioned the hierarchy of the church with the power of the Pope and his ability to speak infallibly and override scripture instead of the power and the unchanging infallibility of God's word. And many other things uh, that I mentioned that, that contradicted what I, what I read in, in God's word. And my father responded the same way that, that Naaman responded. He said, so you actually think that you know better and wiser and more learned than the Pope and the leadership of the Catholic Church and all the great Catholic saints that have gone ahead of us? And I said, no, I, I don't think that I'm wiser 
dead, but I do believe that the word of God is wiser, and it tells me that there's something wrong with all of these religions. So the, the massive detail of religion, all those details, they don't sound like good news to me. And we're told that there's good news for us who need saving. But then after being saved, what about our life in Christ as Christians? Do we still rely on Jesus or do we slip back relying on our own goodness and our own faithfulness, just like all these religions that we're relying on going to church, reading the Bible, praying, checking all the boxes, am I following all the rules and regulations? Remember, those are all good but they aren't the means to an end. It all begins and continues with a relationship with Jesus and all those activities follow. It never stops just being about Jesus. When I first came to Jesus, I asked forgiveness and made him my Lord and I was saved and I didn't know his word very well. So I I did as the Galatians and I tried so hard to be holy but I kept falling and falling and failing and actually going deeper into sin. And it was, it was like spiritual schizophrenia until I read Paul's testimony of a saved Christian that he writes in Romans chapter 7, starting at verse 19. It says, For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells in me. And then Paul said, oh, what a wretched man. Who will save me? He didn't say what will save me. He said, who will save me? And he says, thank God for Jesus Christ, the person, Jesus Christ. It's Jesus. Spending more time with Jesus that will cause you to live a holier life and have you overcome sin in your life as a Christian. It's that simple. It's not religion or any religious practices that you follow, all the do's and the don'ts. Paul also told, he told those Galatians in chapter 5, verse 1 through 2, he said, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Circumcision is religion, it's a ritual. Religious practices, which they are that yoke of bondage. Don't focus on your sin and work on your sin to overcome sin. You hear people doing that all the time. Well, I'm working on my blah, blah, blah. Don't work on that. Focus on Jesus. Hang out with Jesus and then watch your sins slip away. And Paul told the Colossians, we have the circumcision made without hands. We don't have to do anything. Jesus already did it. He does it all. So for those that that think that simple faith in Jesus is too simple and that the complexities of religion make more sense, Naaman's servant, verse 13 to 14, he's got the answer here. says, And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, Would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and he dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. 
If the world is told to follow some complex religious system, they might. But why not the simplicity of just washing in Jesus, washing in his word, that God did it all for us? But why would God make it so simple for me? I love this verse. It's all in God's word, isn't it? Why would he make it so simple for me? What's his motive, his purpose? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7 says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That's why he made it so simple for us. It's to glorify himself. Look how gracious and wonderful and kind. This is what real love is. So let's hear, also hear, right from the lips of Jesus, why Jesus says, just him. You remember when Jesus fed the 5,000 afterwards, they all scrambled looking for him. And when they found him on the other side of the lake, Jesus knew that their heart wasn't in the right place, that they were, they were looking for more signs and more wonders, and they were looking for stuff. And they must have been thinking, man, this guy, he must be from God. And there's something legitimate about this guy because look at everything that he does. Look at the miracles that he performs. So let's find out and ask him point blank, what do we have to do? Jesus gives us the details of this new religion. Please, Jesus, give us the details. We want to know the details of this new religion that you're creating because it sounds great and we want it. John chapter 6, starting at verse 28, he tells them, then he said to them, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. And imagine they're all standing there going, um, they didn't get it. They didn't understand that Jesus would be the one to do the work. So they continued to question Jesus and they reminded him of all the care that they had received from the Father when they were in the desert, when, they, when the Father had given them manna so that they could have life. So they, they, in essence, are now saying, what about you? How are you going to care for us and give us life? What are you going to do? That's what the world asks. What can Jesus do for me? Why do I need Jesus? And then Jesus doesn't say to them, when they're asking that question of them, he doesn't say, okay, Get me a scribe because I'm going to lay out a massive systematic religious program for you to follow. And if you follow it perfectly, you'll have life. No. What did he say? He just said in John chapter 6, verse 35, he said, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And then right after that, Jesus said it again, as clear as can be. He said, And this is the will of him who sent me that everyone who sees the Son believes in Him and believes in Him may have everlasting life and I will raise Him up at the last day. That's it. Jesus does all the work, takes away the sin, gives me His righteousness, takes the wrath of God that my sin was deserving of for me so that I can have everlasting life with Him in paradise. And I just believe in Him and go to Him. But the world goes, no, no, no. Even some Christians, no, 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 no. It's, it's, it's too easy. That's too easy. And I remember as a young man thinking, uh, I remember just racking my brain. There's got to be a hitch. 
Where's the hitch? There's always a hitch. And I remember when it hit me that there is no, that was a big moment for me. There is no hitch. Jesus did it all. I just take the gift. That's the difference between how God loves and how the world loves. It's, it's totally different. God is completely unconditional. No hitches. I just receive it from him. I remember just going, holy smokes, of course, that's it. And prior to being saved, my salvation is not on the condition of my behavior. And it still isn't. Although my behavior will change if I'm saved. With religion and rules and regulations and do's and don'ts, I had absolutely no chance of ever living a holier life and, and growing in the image of Jesus. And why? I don't know why, but God tells us everything because it doesn't work. Paul told us in Colossians chapter 2, verse 23, it says, these things, he's talking about religion and religious activities, these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgences of the flesh. <laughs> they don't work. But as someone clings to Jesus and goes to him and spends time with him, talks with him, relies on him, asking him for strength and forgiveness and encouragement, just building a relationship with him through prayer and, and time in the word, then you begin to look at your life and as the weeks and the months and the years go by, you begin seeing various sins that you were walking in and attitudes that you had just drift away. And you say, how did that happen? How did that happen? I, was fo I, I wasn't focusing on my sin or my attitudes. I wasn't following some religious rules. I was just focusing on Jesus the whole time, spending more time with Jesus, reading his word, praying and asking forgiveness. He does it. Every time that you slip back into religious or works-based ways of, of dealing with your sin, with guilt and shame and fear, even as Christians, and you blame it on family ties or cultural pressures, you're trying to remove those things by your own goodness and your own religiosity, and it doesn't work. Jesus is the answer before salvation and after salvation. Paul says that we must be established by grace, which means always use God's mercy and his grace to deal with your fallen nature. Don't use your own goodness, even after seemingly growing in holiness over the years as a Christian. Our need for Jesus, it never lessens. In fact, all we are really doing as maturing Christians is growing more and more in our realization of our need for Jesus moment by moment. That's really the biggest thing that's happening to me as the years. Realizing I need him more, I need him more, I need him more, I need him more. Resting on his shed blood for us on that tree. And then one day, he'll bring us into his glory. He just wants to share it with us. Remember, he prayed to his father, Father, let them be where I am and experience the glory and the love that I had with you before the foundations of the earth. He wants us just to be with him. So if you haven't yet come to Jesus, my goodness, go to him. He'll forgive you of your sins. He died for you on the cross. 
It's that simple. You don't, you don't have to, if you're scared about following into this religious system, no, you're, you're, you're coming to a person and you're just saying, thank you for taking my penalty for me. Forgive me, I want life. And he'll, he'll take you. And he loves you and he's waiting for you. It's real. It's real. That's what I loved when I first came to Jesus, especially when I started spending time in the Word, realizing this is real. It's not some airy-fairy religious system. This is real. He's a real person. and This is really happening to me. This is great. So the worship team can uh, make their way back up. And if, if you have stopped relying on Jesus to carry you through life as a, as a Christian and you've slipped back into relying on your own holiness and, and religious ways and, and, you're, and you're beating yourself up and you're losing hope of overcoming sin in your life as a Christian, just go back to him. He's waiting there for you, just like he was when he first met you. He's still there. And you won't have to fear. You go to him, simply go to him. And you won't have to fear verses like this that so many people are afraid of. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven... Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Those who do the will of Father, he says here, enter the kingdom of heaven. Remember Jesus said that the will of the Father was that we believe in the one whom he sent. And these people in verse 22 there, they're just doing stuff. That's all they're doing. They're, they're practicing religion. They're just doing stuff. Religion doesn't work. Those who he knows are those who have always just gone to him, trusted in him, surrendered to him, loved him, loved the fact that he loved them, and put their whole hope and their salvation in his shed blood on for their sin on that cross and believe that he rose again, conquering death, thanking him for loving us, even though we were unworthy. It's just, that's who he knows, those who just keep going to him. And so as a church here, let's, let's be those people that just go to Jesus and not, not the religious crowd. And if you've never gone to Jesus for life, for forgiveness, for, for everything you're looking for, just go to him. He's waiting for you and he loves you. He's paid the price for your cross, for your sins on that cross, and he loves you. It's that simple. And for those who, uh, who like to chew on, on scripture a little bit that has to do with what we're looking at here today, chew on, those, on these little portions of scripture because there's evidence of what we're talking about, just Jesus and not religion, all over scripture. So we've only touched the surface of it, but chew on these little, these little tidbits from Hebrews chapter three, verse three. He who built the house has more honor than the house. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 10. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat, and our altar is the cross. So let's pray. Father, Father, thank you for 
for speaking to us today and helping us to always keep our eyes on, on Jesus because he is our redeemer and everything we need is always found in him, Lord. So just root that into our hearts and our spirit here today, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.